I'm going to get started. Um, it's 9.30, so let's pray and then we'll dig in. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can learn and, and consider what you would be teaching us um, through your word and, and through these, these ideas about the fear of man. We pray, Lord, that you will guide our lesson and guide my words today and our hearing, Lord, that, we may, that I may speak rightly and we may hear rightly. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we began this class by looking at the fear of man and then the opposite, the fear of God. Um, last week, we pulled the fear of man apart to study the fear of exposure, fear of rejection, and the fear of harm. And today we're going to answer what would seem to be a very basic question. Um, what do we need? And before I carry on, I should probably say there are handouts along the aisle. And if people come in and they don't have a handout, would you please sort of pat spread them around? It would be great. So why focus on what do we need? Well, there is confusion about what we really need in life. And this confusion over what we need lies at the heart of many forms of the fear of man. And there are some wrong answers to the question, what do we need? And I'd like to start with that, the three, give you three wrong answers to the question, what do we need? There's one that we would call the aesthetic answer. The aesthetic answer says, I don't have any needs. I don't have any needs. And in a religion like Buddhism, that's actually the point, it is to detach yourself from the needs and cares of this world, ab abandoning basically any desire. So the aesthetic answer says, I don't have any needs. And you seek to detach yourself from needs. There's a hedonist answer, which is kind of the opposite. It assumes that whatever I want is what I need. So hedonism is like a child who wants what he wants. It, that's, that's the hedonism, we're about pleasure. So we pursue what we want with abandon. And so we might think, and we use this language, don't we? We don't say, I want a vacation. We say, I need a vacation. I need a break. I want respect becomes, I need respect. And we're, we're quick to turn anything that we think we want, if we want it badly enough, into a need. Into a need. And we use it all the time. We don't often say, I want something. We say, I need this. And the world is full of wants that become needs. Then there's a combination of the two. And I think this is where we often really live. We basically divide our desires into those desires that we will deny, and then those desires that we will treat as needs. 
So when we look at our desires, we'll say, we'll deny this, 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 but this desire, I need that one. Okay. Well, the Christian life is not aesthetic. It's not hedonistic either, but I would agree with John Piper in saying that there is such a thing as Christian hedonism, but hedonistic in terms of the world's hedonism, Christianity is not hedonistic. And it is not some convenient combination of the two. So what does the Bible say then that we need? What do you need? What do we need? It's a very tangled question. If you were lost in the desert and I asked you, what do you need? You would say, I need water. I need water, which would be quite true. If you asked in a Sunday school class, what do people need? You would say they need Jesus, which is true. If you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse or roommate or somebody, you might say, I need somebody to hear me, to listen to me. If, if you were having a cup of coffee with someone and you were talking about what people need and someone says to you, well, what, what, do, what do you need in life? You might list some very good things. You might list respect, love, understanding, self-esteem, obedient kids, safety, control, excitement. The sky's the limit to what you might say you need. So the question is, what do we need? What do we need in life? Well, there's three different categories, and the first one is biological needs, which the scripture talks about quite frequently. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us not to worry about what we will eat, what we will wear, and the answer is, because your heavenly Father knows that you need them. We need those things. It's not a denial of need. It's not even a promise of provision. It's, yeah, it's not even a, prom even a promise of provision, but a promise that God knows what you need. Biological needs are pretty straightforward. They're the things you need to stay alive. And no one's arguing that those are need, needs, not even Christian needs. Everyone needs them. They're just human needs. The next category is also a familiar one to students of the Bible, and that's spiritual needs. Scripture is pretty ruthless in describing our spiritual needs when it says that we were dead, that people are dead in our trespasses and sins. That we are slaves to sin, and, we, and Romans 6, that, that sin seeks to devour us and we need to resist. We have very real spiritual needs. But of course, the great news is that God has not abandoned us to our needs, but has provided everything we need in Christ. In 2 Peter 1.3, it says, His divine power has granted to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness. So biological needs, spiritual needs, pretty clear that we have, that those are legitimate and important things. But the third category is a little bit more sticky. And those are psychological needs. And the list of psychological needs can be a long one, but they typically have to do with what we want in relationships. Significance, acceptance, respect, admiration, love, belonging, meaning, and so on. The psychological needs, those relational needs, is where the, our needs really become quite relevant and, and clear in the relationship to our fear of man. But very often, we treat our psychological needs as just as basic to human existence as our biological needs. God is a relational being, and when he created mankind in his image, he created us to be relational beings. It was not good, after all, for man to be alone, we read in Genesis 1. And as a result, we need to be loved, accepted, valued, in order to feel good about ourselves, to be happy and to be fulfilled. That's what we perceive as, as a need. We are relational. Those are relational things. Love, acceptance, value. But do we need them to be fulfilled? You might describe this as the, the love cup. They use the love cup thing. Uh, if you've read the book, um, have you filled someone's bucket today or filling buckets? It's a, it's a popular thing they've written. Authors have written, I forget the author, who the authors are, they've written um, books for adults and kids about filling people's buckets. And um, the idea is that you have this container or this bucket or a cup and it ha it's, it's either full or it's not full and there's varying degrees of fullness and when people do something nice for you or do something good to you, it adds a drop in your bucket and your level of happiness starts to increase. And when you do that for other people, you're pouring into their bucket and their happiness increases. When someone does something bad to you or, or not desirable, your, your bucket starts to drain. So your existence then is this constant trying to get your bucket filled by other people, right? And the, the, one of the redeeming things about it in the kids' book is at least it says at the end of the kids' book that when you are doing good things for other people, you're also filling your own bucket. So, so at, least, at least 
gets at the idea that you have some control over your own bucket. But the main idea is we fill other people's buckets and they fill yours. Well, that makes us quite dependent on our fellow human beings for our fulfillment and our happiness, doesn't it? Anytime we need anything other than God, it places us in a dangerous, idolatrous situation. So they would basically agree with the main premise that we need love, but would stress that Christ's love for us completely fills that need. Okay? Now, that idea that Christ's love fills us and fills us and we need to always be filled has some of its own problems. And you might think, well, what? what can be wrong with that? And stay tuned. We'll talk a bit about that uh, coming up. Okay? But this idea that we're empty and always needing to be filled... Well, here are some of the problems with that idea. There are some pretty serious flaws with that bucket theory or love cup theory. Um, the first is, it makes it seem like unfulfilled desire is at least as much a cause of our sinful behavior as our sinful hearts. For example, Let's say that someone struggles with sinful, angry outbursts. But when you confront them about their anger and their outbursts, they point to somebody else as the cause of their anger and their outbursts. It's because my wife doesn't respect me. She doesn't love me. That's why I have a short fuse. Right? Because your bucket is empty, or almost empty, because of that lack of what you think you need from your wife. And so you blame your, because the buckets are, are filled by other people, then you're angry at that other person. But we understand from the Bible that the cause of sin is sin. You classify, in this example, your wife's respecting you as a desire. And it's a good desire. And then when that desire is unmet, you will be disappointed, okay? So if you classify it as a desire, you will be disappointed. But what if you classified your wife's respect as a need? Well then, not only will you be angry, but then you will justify your anger because it is a need. It's not just a desire, it's a need. I have a right to be angry when a need is not being met, right? So if you're disappointed that your wife or husband or whatever doesn't show respect, you might flare up and angry, but you will see your anger as, well, hmm, maybe that's just, that's my anger coming out. I don't always need what I desire, get what I desire. But if it's a need, well, then now you're starting to justify your anger. And it gets into some blame shifting. So this first problem is that it makes it seem like unfulfilled desire is at least as much a cause of sinful, our sinful behavior 
as our sinful hearts. The second problem with this bucket or cup theory is it doesn't entirely fit with how the Bible describes our motivation to love. We're not called to love people because they need our love, much less because by loving them, they'll love us back and meet our need for love. Instead, as 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. We don't love people because we're trying to fill their bucket, and they don't love us because we have a need and they're trying to fill our bucket. We love because he first loved us. And even in that statement, you can hear it wrongly. I am going to wait for God to fill me with his love, and then I'm going to love because my bucket will be full. Right? My I'm going to wait for him to fill my bucket. When my bucket's full, I can fill someone else's bucket. That's not the biblical model. The Bible's view of our loving because Christ loved us is less about freedom and more about compulsion. When we say we love because he first loved us, it's not because we were filled and now we're ready. It's because we are compelled you can't help it. We, we, we love because he loved us so much. And, and there's a compulsion to love. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4 to 14 to 15, it says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and for them was raised again. Or listen to Luke 7, verse 47. He who has been forgiven little loves little, but he who has forgiven much loves much. If you've been forgiven by God, you cannot help but love God. Our forg but forgiveness, forgiveness drives us to love. And, and so it's not, I have a bucket that is, needs to be filled, and then I will love, oh, but then it's starting to be empty again, then I'll wait for more love. And when you know that God loves you, you don't wait till you feel it. You just love because you're compelled. It's a comp compulsion. We don't sit back waiting for our psychological needs to be met by Jesus, or by anyone else, before we move forward in love. That's the second problem with the bucket theory. Third, the third problem, is that it takes the command to love others and then turns it around to say that we need to be loved. And we've already been hinting at that. I need to love others, but but me, 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 I need it, I need it, okay? Kind of like the husband demanding that his wife respect him since she's commanded to in Ephesians 5. To act as if I've been wronged when others don't love me is just not biblical. You wronged me because you didn't love me. 
That's not a biblical thing. We are to, we are to bear and endure the reproach of others. Not say, that's wrong. Love me, it's my need, right? What would happen if you use that same reasoning with the verse in Philippians 2, 3 that says, consider others better than yourselves. I demand that you consider me as somebody of importance, even better than you. You see the folly in that thinking? I, I demand that you love me, that you meet my needs because it's right. No, the Bible doesn't say that we need to have our needs met by anybody. Even when we have hard provinces by God, it's not, we don't get, we can't get angry because he's not changing the situation. We have a need for comfort. We have a need for peace. We have a need for um, health. No, we've got a need to endure and be patient and look to the Lord. We, we, so we have to be careful about those things. What I'm trying to get us away from is this sense that we have psychological needs that are entirely analogous to biological needs. Our psychological needs do not equate at the same level as biological needs or spiritual needs. They just don't. Where if I don't get something from someone else, it's impossible for me to be happy and healthy. That is not a biblical idea. Or, <laughs> if I don't get from God what I'm expecting from God, I can't be healthy and happy. It's not a biblical idea. Much of what our modern culture views as psychological needs are actually desires, wants. And you can really see the difference between a desire and a need in how you react when you don't get what you want. When someone deprives you of something you desire, you're disappointed, and maybe sad, maybe you have to just get your mind around it. But when someone deprives you of something that you think you need, aren't you a lot more than disappointed? You're mad, you're angry. Because now this is an issue of justice and not preference, right? When you, dis when you deny, if someone in this world denied another person of their basic and rightful needs, shelter, um, health, clothing, like you see someone who might be abusing a child, locked away in a room, under the stairs, whatever. That's an injustice. But to say you didn't make me feel good, that's a different thing. And you really see it in this woke culture and, this, the, and the LGT2ZY. I don't, there's so many letters. L, I can't even say it all the time. 2S, 2Spirit. Trans culture, we see this all the time. We see it all the time. The desire for affirmation and acceptance in their mind is a need, isn't it? 
You, you can't just, you can't disagree with me because I have a need to be affirmed. And how dare you deny someone a basic need? And so in their terms, in their rhetoric, when you don't affirm their lifestyle, it's not just your opinion, it's a matter of an injustice. Right? We see it. Ed Welch puts it well. When we have a desire for respect and we don't receive it, we're hurt. But if we have a need for respect, we are devastated or angry. If love from other people was a need, one way you would expect that need to show up in the Bible would be in the numerous prayers that are recorded in Scripture. Because we pray for things we need, don't we? And while we see many prayers for biological needs and for spiritual needs in the Bible, we don't see prayers for our psychological needs. It's just really not there. Take the Lord's Prayer just as an example. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Does Jesus think our needs are important? Absolutely. We pray for our daily bread. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for deliverance from evil, biological needs, spiritual needs. But what is lacking is any recognition that we need to be praying uh, that recognition that we are needy in relation to other people and we need to be praying for our psychological needs. Instead of enshrining our demand to be loved, that I demand to be loved, Scripture just says, love. Just love. Because of the love we've already received. The Bible, and the God through the Bible, doesn't, doesn't make much of our psychological demands and needs, but teaches us to see them rightly and see God rightly. So who are you? We need to understand what our ultimate purpose in life is. After all, the fear of man equation is if I can't have X, then I can't be happy. Or if Y happens, then I'll be devastated. I'll never be okay. Both of which assume a pur purpose statement, right? Uh, the purpose statement there is to be happy and to be okay. That's living. But what is God's purpose statement for our lives? When we think back to Genesis 1, where God creates all living things after their own kinds. And we read in 26, 126, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're made in God's image, in God's likeness. An image of God that is like God. And just consider how great that is. I was thinking about that. I was at last night or this morning. I don't know. Time's a blur. Um, the angels weren't made in God's image. The animals weren't made in God's image. We're the only ones that are made in God's image. And it's, and it's amazing. Angels are... <laughs> if we saw an angel in this room right now, we'd be, we'd be shaking to our boots probably. But they're not made in God's image. Wow. Mankind is truly the pinnacle of God's creation. We are made in God's image. And that means that we are made to reflect him. That our very being proclaims something about who God is. Your purpose as a created being is to show off the glory and goodness of God. He purposed that you would be made in his image. And, and that is your purpose. So we need to imitate him by loving others, by showing mercy, by creating, teaching, whatever it is. But you're not just a human being made in his image. That's like everyone in humanity is made in God's image. That's what gives people worth, whether they know Christ or not. But the Christian, you've got something more. As a Christian, you show off the glory of God, not merely by being human, but because you have a new heart. And a new heart of faith changes you. As an image bearer, your life shows off the power and wisdom of God. As a redeemed image bearer, your life shows off the mercy and grace of God as well. William Shakespeare wrote that all the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players. And it's so much more true than he probably meant it. Your purpose in life is to show off the excellence of our great God in this stage play of life. And, and don't think too small. You're not just showing that off to people in the world. There is a whole unseen realm of angels who are looking and seeing and, are, and, and watching. Demons who see and watch. The stage is not just this earth, this realm, the physical realm, but the unseen realm. And, and as we become more Christ-like, the angels rejoice and the demons shudder. So it's not just that we're showing this to people. And even if there were no people, that fact alone would be worth it, wouldn't it? So you think you're alone privately in your room or wherever you are, and you don't have to worry about imaging Christ. But people are, beings are watching. They can see. You're, you're not, 
You're, 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 you're before the eyes of God, and he sees everything you do, but there's a realm around us that we don't even, we're not even sure how much it works, or, you know what, just never, never think you're alone, but you're always before the face of God, living before the face of God, and it within this unseen realm as well. And so our, ha- and so our, our purpose is not just to be happy and okay. You know, I struggle, and I've been open about this. I've done Sunday school lessons on it. I've been quite open about it because I think people need to be more open about it. I've struggled with depression. I've struggled with depression since, I, I can even tell you the year, 1993-ish. Long time. And for me, it, it's, it's quite a deep biological thing. Um, but does that make me any less purposeful? <coughs> any less of, in any kind of way? Any less um, that, uh, able to, to meet my purpose? How do I, the question is, is not um, what do I need to be happy? Um, I need that to show God's purpose. It is how do I show God's goodness even within that depression, even within that state, right? So it's not about our psychological needs. It's not about that we need to be happy, to be fulfilled, that we need to be um, okay and accepted to be fulfilled. Our purpose is how we are fulfilled, and that is to image Christ. So what do we really need? When we answer the question, what do we need? Um, the answer is, we need to show, we need to fulfill our purpose, which is to show off the excellence and glory and goodness of God. That's what we need. That's what we need. Our biological needs fit well into that purpose. Psalm 6, 5 says, Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? So we need to be living biologically, um, have our needs met. Our spiritual needs fit well. In Psalm 51, David asks God for forgiveness. Why? Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. I need to be forgiven so that I can keep going on and fulfilling my purpose. God gets glory when he meets our biological needs and our spiritual needs because of our thankful hearts, because we tell others about his provision, and because by meeting those needs, he keeps us alive, both physically and spiritually, to image him. Now, what do psychological needs, desires, have to do with our purpose as human beings? And I think Ed Welch says it well again. Other than forgiveness of sins, do we have any needs? Do we need relationships or not? The answer depends on what you mean by need. If we are talking about psychological needs, then no, we do not need relationships to fill our longings for significance and love. Self-serving needs are not meant to be satisfied. They are meant to be put to death. 
So I don't need other people in order to, to overcome some existential hole that's deep inside me. That's that empty bucket, right? There's a hole, there's an emptiness, and I need other people to fill it. Which, and there is a sense, though, that we need each other. There is a sense. But not to fill up what is lacking. I need you to make me complete. And if you enter a marriage that way, if you're thinking that's what marriage is, don't get married. Don't. You're not ready. You don't get married because you're incomplete. Even though God said to Adam, you need a woman. You need a wife. It wasn't because Adam was incomplete. It's because there needed to be a relationship which could image forth God and who he is relationally. No, we don't, we don't need other people to fill us. But we do need other people because that is the stage that God has put us in to show forth his love, his mercy, his goodness, um, to show that we are bound together as a spiritual family, even as we show God in our own families. I need you so that I can show forth God's glory relationally, but not because I need you to fill me. That's the perspective we need to have. Our purpose as human beings is to glorify God. As Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We seek to fill our psychological needs not by getting God to fill an empty bucket, but by emptying our bucket of any attempts at, satisfa at satisfaction and making our focus on God our satisfaction. It's as we pour ourselves into God that we find that we are happy. It's by losing your life that you find your life and are content and satisfied, and God gets the glory. So we focus, it's a matter of focus really, not on how empty we are psychologically and relationally, but how full we are in Christ. We don't wait to be pursued by other people or by God. We pursue other people, and we pursue God. And when we do that, we find that we are fulfilling our purpose, which makes us satisfied and content and happy. So we are not passively waiting and depending on other people, so our, de our desires become our needs from other people. We, out of the great abundance of who we are in Christ, take the initiative. And that is satisfying. So what do we really need? Do we need privacy such that we fear people who can expose and humiliate us? No. It's a fine thing to want some privacy, but that's not a need. Because we know that God can use even our humiliation to make us holy and to further his ultimate purposes, just as his son was exposed and humiliated for our sake. 
Do we need to feel included such that we fear people who can reject and ridicule or despise us? No. Those things are fine to want, but those are not needs. Just as God allowed his son to be rejected for our sakes, we know that he can use even rejection for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. What about our safety? Do we have a need to be safe? Well, clearly God cares about safety. Jesus said that he feeds the birds and clothes of the flowers, so, he will not, so will he not care for our needs in the same way? But yet, even more than caring for our biological needs, even of safety, he cares that we fulfill our created purpose. And in his care, he will sometimes let us experience harm. He will. But we don't need to fear it, even if it's at the hands of other people. It is the difference between the surgeon's scalpel and the criminal's knife. Every hurt that comes your way has been carefully measured, weighed out, and prescribed lovingly by the great physician whose delight is to make us holy. And in being made holy, we are made happy. And he is seen as glorious. The whole point of this lesson is that one reason that we fear man is because we have determined that many of our desires and things that we want from them are actually needs and we, oh, we may not get them. Or they may actually, uh, uh, so negatively, we may not get what we think we want or we're gonna get something we don't think we want because what we think we want has become a need, right? So that is just one of those things, when we think about the fear of man, we've got to think about what we've classified as needs. And, and not just because of the fear of man, I should add. That doesn't relate just to the fear of man. Even if there was no Sunday school on the fear of man, and we had a whole Sunday school on needs and wants, that would be worth it. <laughs> it's just good, good Christian consideration. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and this thinking about needs and wants and what's most important. We know, Lord, that our most important need is you and to be right with you. And then it does not matter what happens even to our body. Um, but I pray that you help us to really even focus on and consider even this week, even today, the things that we have been calling needs that are actually wants. And help us, Lord, to find our fullness in you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.